Hello, this is Ordinary Artists, and I'm your host, Mumba Dodwell. This podcast is a platform where I interview artists who work in theatre and happen to be of colour. They give you advice and insight on how they got into their industry. podcast I'm talking to Madani Yunus. Madani is the outgoing artistic director of the Bush Theatre. It's a bit surreal that I'm doing this introduction and that I spoke to him because I wanted to speak to Madani two years ago. I wrote him as one of the first names of people that I wanted on this podcast. I met him at Central's Dear White People which was an event held at Central School of Speech and Drama by Stephen Kavuma to address the underrepresentation and inclusion at drama school. Um, and it was just weird because he was an artistic director and he was there. He was there speaking to us. He was there interacting. And at the end of the event, I spoke to him and I was like, this man runs a building. Like, wow. And he's here to interact and he's putting his finger to the pulse and he's present. And he just spoke so frankly about what is wrong with the industry and the changes. And I just thought this is amazing because so many artistic directors, you don't even see them in their buildings. Like you don't even know who they are, let alone like... I mean, not even their names. And so, yeah, so I just was so inspired. So I put him down as someone I wanted to speak to. Actually, him and Vinay are one of the first few people on my list. So this is this is really like amazing to see this all coming into actualization. Um, we spoke about what it was to be an artistic director of the Bush. He's been there for six years. In 2013, he won an award, the Gaucho Award for um, 99% capacity, which is amazing. He's tripled the audience size since he was there in, I, I mean, audience like capacity in the venue. Um, he's a working member of the Mayor Cultural Board and he um, his last show at the Bush Theatre that he's directing is An Adventure, which is written by Vinay Patel, as you may or may not know, who was in my last podcast. We talked about that, actually. We talked about what the show means to him and, um, and the, some of the choices that they made in the show and why they came to that. It was really exciting just to speak to him and just actually hear like what it means to run a building and what a person like that, what what comes to them, what's their inspiration and like what led to having the commissioned writers that we saw, which were like Arinze and Vinay um, and Winston Pinnock and how that came to be. And it was just lovely. And I'm kind of grateful to have had that chat. Um, we also talked about what it meant to um, renovate the building and how they kept running when that was happening and how they kept engaged with the community. So I think this one's a bit of like a gem podcast for me. Um, and I'm just so grateful again to have spent time with him that morning. Um, so yeah. Oh, by the way, An Adventure is still on at the Bush Theatre, so please check it out. And uh, here we go. with Madney Yunus, who is the artistic director of The Bush and is heading to the Southland Centre in um, in January, which is really cool. I think that's a good thing for them, as you realise. <laughs> well, a good thing, I like the Southland Centre. as like I, I've been recently getting into it a bit more, but we're mainly here to focus on what it means to be an artistic director for you. What does that mean in this climate today? So, look, I'm the artistic director of The Bush Theatre. Yeah. We're a new writing theatre that commissions and produces new work. We are based in West London in Shepherd's Bush. That's important to me because 
Shepherd's Bush is one of the most diverse communities in the whole of London, down the Uxbridge Road where the bush is located. Um, the Uxbridge Road is both the longest road in London, because it just goes on forever, yeah. and it's the most uh, diverse road in the whole of Europe for the number of languages that are spoken down it. Yeah. And so when I first arrived at the bush, it would be fair to say, before I started here, it wasn't a theatre I was necessarily visiting regularly. Mm -hmm. It was a theatre that I always acknowledged was held in high esteem, but it wasn't a theatre I was personally hitting up on a regular basis. I knew that in 2012, when I first arrived, that this building, um, this building was new. Like yeah. the theatre hadn't been here for a long time, and that was my mandate. I was really clear, if I could help reflect the outside of the building on the inside of the building, that would be my mandate. Mm -hmm. How can theatre buildings, how could this building, and actually how can theatre buildings be more reflective of the communities in which they uh, exist and live, and not exist in spite of them, which I think sadly happens quite often yeah. with cultural institutions across our country. Yeah, I think that's true, and I could see that you did that with Meet the Writers, which was mm. the the commission, the eight commissioned writers for 2008's, uh, 2008, sorry, 2018's programme. Um, I was saying to Vinay the other day that I could see, it was so lovely to walk out of Shepherd's Bush Station and just see all their faces coming mm -hmm. in. Um, and they really reflect the community, like they reflect the community. And what led to that? What made you think, let's get these eight writers and do this? Because no other theatre, so I mean, in the recent years has said, right, our programme is based on writers rather than these plays and directors. It was a journey to get to that moment, if I'm honest. Um, I feel so ashamed right now because I can't remember the title, but there's a really famous Tribe Called Quest album, and people will know the album I'm talking about. It's the album on the, on the actual record and the vinyl where they've just got loads of, like, just headshots almost of just all of uh, Tribe Called Quest contemporaries, so all the artists they were either inspired by or the people that were just dope that were on the scene at the time. Yeah. And for me, that was always quite an iconic cover because I think, A, I'm a huge fan of Tribe Called Quest, but that cover was super iconic for me because I went, yeah, there's something about celebrating your culture, yeah. the people that define your culture and the people who represent the best of who you are. So for us as a theatre, having all of our playwrights as the poster image hmm. all the way up and down our road was a real statement to say um, the men and women who work in this building look like all of you. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They are not yeah. misplaced when you're at, when their faces are hung on these lampposts down the street. They look like you. They look like you and I yeah. in this room. And you go, that's pretty awesome because cultural buildings have a great habit of hiding art from people. Yeah. And I think it's really important for me, for this organisation, to ensure we keep reminding our communities that this building is a reflection of them. And so, yeah, it was a real choice for us to go, why not? These are the men and women we spend 12, 14 hours a day in this theatre working for. Yeah. Let's celebrate why we're working for them every day. Yeah. And I heard that um, some of the writers, especially Vinay and Arinze, they, um, you gave them the space to write. And I think that as writers of colour, that's really important, that space to explore. And I could really see that with Misty. Like, I was like, mm. I was like yes, it's black art, but it's absurd as well. I don't think we get to see that often. Um, 
it, it was so important for me, man, with that one in particular. Like, Arinze, I'd seen little, I'd seen an extract of Little Baby Jesus, which was a show that Arinze had on at the Oval House. Um, and I remember being up in Edinburgh one year and I saw an extract of it as mm. a shearing. I went, oh, that's, there's something special about that. So I, Omar, the associate director, and I, yeah. Omar, who is also the director of Misty, uh, so one of our first meetings was, was when we first started here in 2012, was with Lorenzo. Mm. And he was our first commission. Wow. And so it feels like we've come full circle now. Yeah. Um, but let's be real, when we first commissioned Rinze, it took a minute to get to Misty. Yeah, there were a couple of ideas before Misty. Okay. Um, Rinze, it'd be fair to say, um, got busy, maybe went AWOL, <laughs> maybe didn't answer our calls all the time. Um, but <laughs> there was a moment where we laugh about it now, yeah. and he is my brother and I love him deeply, but... I remember Arinze's agent at one point saying, we'd like to give the commission money back to you because we're not sure if he can deliver. And we said, don't worry, we'll just give you some more money. <laughs> and just so no one has to feel guilty about yeah. the money. Yeah. Um, because I think in that moment, I think this is the point I'm really driving to is, and also in the case of Vinay Patel, I saw his play True Brits almost three and a half year, four years ago, I think, mm. up in Edinburgh, it was in a small space in Edinburgh. I mean, all the spaces are small up there. And also being uh, someone of South Asian heritage, knowing that <laughs> there was another brown brother up in Edinburgh was a bit like spotting the Loch Ness Monster. I'm like, I need to go see this for myself. Yeah. So I go see True Brits and I went, yeah, there's a truth in this play that I yeah. cannot deny. And in both those instances, I was really clear, really clear we were really clear we weren't investing in an idea. They weren't pitching us an idea. We were investing in them. Yeah. And I think sometimes an artistic director, you're doing one of two things. You're either investing in the idea because you think there's real potential in it, yeah. or you're investing in the artist because that's what... And I ultimately think when we have invested in the artist, the returns have been greater. We've gone on longer journeys. Yeah. Um, there's a sense of their DNA infects our building. It is much deeper than just the performance on yeah. stage. I think that, yeah, and I must agree with what you said because, like, I now feel like I know the writers more. Like, I know the writers. I feel a bit, it's a bit more personal. I want to know their story and I, I'm seeing them on stage. And so many times in other buildings, you're like, oh, that's the writer. And you're like, who? You don't even know what their writer looks like. And I think that's important because sometimes I found a, a, um, out a writers of colour and I'm like, oh my God, that's, that look, that's amazing. And I think that's really, that's really um, something special. Um, What's it been like after the refurbishment of the bush? Because you did that and it was like, it's a big, it's a big deal to refurbish a building and open up. How has that been? For those of us long in the tooth, um, now sadly like I am, um, it's, a, it's a rare thing to be given the opportunity to undertake a capital redevelopment project to... Um, not only raise four and a half million pounds, but to oh. then to spend that money on a building yeah. um, and to make that quite a transformational uh, project. Because the decisions we were making weren't just decisions that would suit us, we were making decisions that would, God willing, yeah. help those that came after us. It was 
right now I've never experienced that in my career to this point. The ability to kind of lead, to both create um, and shape that vision with my team and deliver a project of that scale. It was exciting, man. We learned a lot about ourselves. I think somewhat arrogantly now, I remember when we left, we went off-site, we did a year of work off-site. I remember saying to the team, look, we don't need bricks and mortar to make yeah. our work. We can make up, we made our work at the Tabernacle, yeah. at Nubian Life, which is a West Indian, um, uh, a Caribbean African yeah. day centre. We made shows in their buildings, yeah. right? And it was yeah. super dope. It was like, we loved it. I heard you did one in the school as well. One of my friends down the road, she's like, I, I want to see a, a performance in the school. And they, she really enjoyed oh, it. Oh yeah, we did it in a school. We did it in a karaoke bar. Yeah. Like, we really, we went out there. Yeah. And it was a beautiful thing. And we met our communities in ways that we hadn't before. Like we were quite literally in their spaces. Um, and it was humbling, it was inspiring, it was an honor. But remember that was the year in which last year, 2017, was also yeah. the year in which, uh, 2017 or 16, 16 yeah. the year in which Brexit takes place. Yeah. And look, we're out there making shows. The day after Brexit, so people vote. Yeah our country votes to leave, we wake up to the news that the Polish centre in Hammersmith, their walls are dogged in graffiti. Oh. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. proper racist, crazy shit. Yeah. And I just went, wow, that's a real reminder. Do you know I mean? It's just a real yeah. reminder of kind of going, oh, that resentment, we've always, no one's been naive to that. We've, no one believes we live in a post-racial society. Yeah. But that shit felt mad. That shit felt mad real, and we. And so when I started by saying, "Oh, we don't need bricks and mortar," yeah. actually, what I came to realise very quickly after that moment is, yes, we do need bricks and mortar because b- bricks and mortar gives us a sense of place, a sense yeah. of belonging, a sense of home, a sense of community. Yeah. So, because we had that experience of going through a capital project, because we were out there yeah. in our community. And really, and look, that's at the same time when Black Lives Matter was popping yeah. off, both in the States, here in London, we had the big march on Oxford Street, etc. We had the sit-ins at Westfield, here in Shepherds Bush, in Stratford. We were, and we have always been acutely aware of the politics within which we both yeah. actively engage, but also live within. And so, yeah, it was a really, it was a whirlwind year, because it wasn't just about, oh, let's make some cool shit. It's like, the world is really... in influencing and affecting us and hence why this season of work in particular that we're in right now the start of 2018 is we were definitely of the opinion fuck it let's just go all in let's just do all the things we want to do let's not second guess what we think others may think I mean look was Misty ready when we announced we were doing the show no Um, but we went all in and I think that was also about us going, we give ourselves permission. We're not waiting for permission. Yeah, I think that's a really, well, yeah, it's true. It's, but that's a really important thing, giving yourself permission. Because mm. you can kind of, like, wow, yeah, you can really spend time second guessing, going, oh, is that going to work? Is that going to gel? No, that, yeah, that's, that's really important. Um, I wanted to ask you about an adventure. I watched it the other night, and I thought that... Um, Having family members, not family, but close family friends who are also of Indian descent and living in Africa, I thought this this is great because people think that everyone is monolithic outside of the UK. Like they think that you live in, like 
if you're Indian, you live in India. If, you, if you're mm-hmm. Zambian, you live in Zambia. And I think that was beautiful to watch that and eventually see someone who are also like moving around in their place. Um, what, what did you enjoy about directing an adventure? Firstly, I think Vinay Patel, the writer of an adventure, is the truth. I believe he is the voice of a generation. Yeah. He will come to write the stories that define and reflect the truth of our experiences. Yeah. And it's just an honour. We are his first commission. Yeah. Uh, we're the first theatre to commission him. And I'm honoured to have had that opportunity because I believe him. believe he is the truth. And this is way before all of the great success he's experiencing now, yeah. this Doctor Who special and all this. And we were there at the beginning. Mm. Like, we were there with the Rinzai at the beginning. Like, we are invested in these artists because we share in their struggle. Like, being... My mother is Trinidadian. Mm. My father is Pakistani. And this story of, like... Kenya, we all knew about Uganda, we were something more familiar with Uganda at least, under Idi Amin, but there is this kind of, I just don't know, it's like this fucking naivety, or just a lack of education, which I I don't blame people for, but it surprises me, if I'm honest, when there's this lack of understanding of the experiences of countries like Kenya and Uganda, and going are the influence of, and what those communities meant to each other, how they lived, also what was difficult, an adventure definitely flags up um, ideas of colorism, the idea of like British colonialism, and the idea that um, our narratives then, Mm -hmm. and to a degree now, as men and women of color, are still being shaped by that old colonial hand, both in this country and in other parts of the world Mm -hmm. where we come from, and I think, be it Brexit, be it adventure, be it misty, I think all of these moments are either reminding us that we don't belong, or in the cases of the pieces of art that we're producing yeah. here, is reminding us of how powerful we are as people, and how we have always, we've always kind of approached the world with a sense of openness and generosity, and we have to rewrite those narratives because if we were to purely judge the experience of men and women through the broadsheet newspapers of this country, I think those in future gen- generations will would be disappointed in what they read about us yeah. because they do not capture who we are. And I'm not saying, oh, just capture the best of us. I'm just saying you just don't capture any of us, in my yeah. opinion. And that has to change. And I think... An adventure is one of those moments where I go, yeah, do you know what? Essentially, it's a history play that doesn't feel like a history play. Yeah. I bet I put money on the fact that 80%, 90% of that audience have no idea about what Kenya was, what happened yeah. in Kenya, who the Mau Mau were, uh, who the rebels were, quote unquote, who the rebels were, what the influence of Indian men and women was in that period in time. Like, I didn't know that they built the railroads there, a lot of them. And totally. And looking at the history of just Africa, a lot of Indian communities have come throughout there, even in, as far as Cape Town, and built a lot of a lot of those roads because of the British as well. Like because the British were like, hey, let's and like also the connections of colonialism. Um, I just think we. <coughs> I really I don't have children yeah. yet. Uh, yeah, God willing, I do, but. Um, 
it fascinates me that when history is taught in our schools to our children, to the young men yeah. and women um, who will come to shape this country in their own image, just how narrow that history is, how, um, how convenient that history is, um, how that history denies both our power and our influence. And not just within the education system, but I would suggest within um, British theatre. Yeah. The impact of men and women of colour in this country has for too long been underappreciated and has for too long being denied um, their their importance and their influence. Mm, I think that's true. And seeing that um, in the sh in the play when the family moved to London, and that shock of how their treatment is there. Like I was, I think that some of it was like I was like, oh my god, that's like I was like, you don't know what they've been through. That's like you guys are just taking them for like a piss take. Like mm -hmm. it's like these people have worked hard and they fled for their safety. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's always like reminded me of the refugee crisis and all these things about people don't come to England just for what the papers say. It's like they're not just here to take benefits. They they're escaping something. Or I think I always think that our countries have been take something's been taken from them that we no longer have, so we have to come here to get them. Um, so that really impacted me when they came to England. I thought that was really lovely, and to see to see also a strong Asian woman as well protesting and I saw that your mum is an act your mum was an activist Correct. as well yeah yeah is I mean that's what I love about the play yeah. is the character of Jodi who's a central character we, yeah. we meet her from f at the age of 14 and we watch her life unfold till she's in her early sort of 80s as yeah. it were I just think that depiction of Asian women on stage uh, and I could apply this to women more yeah. broadly, but specifically here I'm talking about Asian women on stage. Is that sort of and look, Jimmy, yeah. shout out to shout out to Capri uh, Batty, shout out to Tanika Gupta, shout out to all the amazing writers that are out there. But I would still hold that more often than not, sadly, um, those writers, of course, rewrite that narrative. But yeah. South Asian women on stage can often appear to feel subservient. Mm. Uh, passive, uh, second-class citizens, and I'm just fucking bored of that shit. Yeah. And because I, I was not raised by women who subscribe to those uh, tropes that are played out so often uh, within uh, within culture in this country. And so when reading Jodi on the page, I love that first scene because the audience. Without, it's not too much of a spoiler. The yeah. first scene is a scene of uh, Jyoti being courted by her future husband, Rasik. But I just love how sassy, how fierce she is, how unapologetic she is for the, the way she looks at the world. And we might all sit here as sort of write-on kind of folk and go, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Um, however, I think that is really fucking rare. And we should be looking at that and reminding ourselves... Why is there, Why aren't there more Jodis on stage? And yeah. I think for young women, uh, young women of colour that have seen this play and will continue to see this play, they'll see the character of Jodi and go, yeah, yeah, she's inspiring. Not just because of the character, because 
and Jana Vasana, the actress playing that part, is just absolute fire. She, she's phenomenal. Like she is so captivating on stage. Um, and I've just recently seen her a lot more on TV in the screen, and then I saw her on stage, and I was like, oh my god, you are fantastic. And just speaking about that women, I just um, I'm doing some workshops in schools, and I went to a school with which is a mainly um, which is a Sikh school, and. It was, it was lovely to see, we were doing a show, we are doing workshops to do with feminism and just um, and suffragettes, and seeing the Asian girls just standing up and being vocal, I was like, this is not, they're there, and it's not like you're doing them a disservice. And also I think it doesn't help when you also have black women who are always treated as strong black women. I think that there is lots of women within different communities who are strong. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, while I was going off that tangent, about the accents. I heard that... Um, I heard, I read Vinay said that you didn't want to have accents in the show, and I just want to know how you guys arrived at that. Um, <laughs> really good question, man. I mean, um, there is an accent technically, I shouldn't say that because English is an accent somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> but I think what we're specifically talking about <laughs> yeah. here is that fucked up South Indian accent yeah. that people, uh, I fucking hate it. Yeah. I hate it. We're, like, Vinay was super cool. Like we yeah. knew that he wanted, like, no, not that sort of, look, that sort of accent that I think is a piss take of mm-hmm. what uh, white, our white brothers and sisters think our parents sound like, or my mm-hmm. grandparents, or mm-hmm. that we sound like. And I feel really uncomfortable with it. It's like when we ask um, uh, black actors to do mm-hmm. an African an accent, some sort of generic bullshit mm. accent. Do you mean what do you mean? Yeah. Is that Nigerian, South African, Kenyan? Do, do you know what still pissed me off about Spotlight? Is that it doesn't list the African countries. It just says African and it says West African. Huh. And it doesn't say I, I've been meaning to like campaign for this, just to break them down because it's not I'm from Southern Africa and so my accent is very different from West African and like you can't just say it's generic, but yeah. That's such an interesting point. Yeah. Because you go that's a real example of our industry going, oh, it all kind of sounds the same, doesn't yeah. it? Like, as long as it sounds a bit foreign. Yeah. And there was a part of me that also didn't want the accent, not just because I fucking hate it, yeah. but because I think so often it's easy when looking at history that if the accents feel really removed from us, yeah. that sort of we think it was then. I think yeah. what's great about an inventory is because they speak in a vernacular that is familiar, familiar mm. to us here in the UK, in particular I think for those of us here in London, and I think it means immediately you're more present in the states of the world. Um, The history plays out as it plays out and that's all true, but I think the language allows you to lean in more strongly as an audience member. And I think I agree with that, like I probably would have, as someone now I would have watched it and probably lent in, but I think that there was something gripping because I could see Bits of, bits of my history, bits of my parents' history mm-hmm. and grandparents within that because it just, I, and I can imagine for the audiences who are English and probably also bridge that, that bridge was, they could walk across it easier and it was really nice also to see Martins who plays David that he didn't have an accent as well which is a typical the African um, Kenyan accent which you hear and it also kind of, people go, oh, like, it sometimes makes me, like not switch off, I can imagine people just switch off as well to that. Martins in Hangbe, is about have I've been blessed to work with him. This is the third show we've done together. We did the Royale together a couple of years back. We did a play by Winston Pinnock together last year. 
and now Vinay's playing adventure and Martin's in Hangbake, I think A is going to be one of our most important actors, but also his intellectual rigour when it comes to these questions mm. over accents, over authenticity. Uh, we've spoken at length, and I remember before he even said mm. yes to the part, he was he really interrogated what it means, like yeah. and why we would make the choice and what that choice meant to him. And I really respect that because he, as a young, well, he is young only in age, not in yeah. terms of his craft, but I think it's really powerful to me when speaking to an artist like yourself that tells me about Spotlight. Yeah. I sit with Martins and go, hearing his experiences of being in an audition room, yeah. and Martins is going, what the fuck do they mean in African accent? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, It's a powerful thing, and I think being in a room as we were with uh, a cast uh, of men and women of colour and just being able to speak that shit to ourselves in the yes. same space was like super powerful, man. Eh? Mm. I can imagine that. I just, yeah, I've just realised because all your cast were of colour so it was, it's a safer space to, um, to speak about and having both you and Vinay on the team. Mm. Um, those people of authority, which I've noticed is a big thing. It's not just enough, I think, now to have people of colour as your cast. You need you need people who are in it powers in places of power and influence mm-hmm. to feel safe. Because I think that I've noticed that sometimes I'm like they're like, oh, you can be open. It's like, uh, can I? Because no one looks like me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's so important that you. I think being an artistic director, yeah. you have to live your values and I often use this analogy that being an artist is a bit like playing a game of high stakes poker in that there are those of us that sit at the table and with every hand we go all in and we're comfortable with that we know the pressure that comes with but we go all in with that and then there are those who watch us do that and they might tell us what they think, but they yeah. don't sit at the table. We sit at the table. And that reality of like, ultimately, you've got to make the decision. Yeah. And as an artistic director, I feel the values that I believe in, one has to instill those values and have those values informed mm. by the whole organisation. It can't just exist in me. Yeah. It has to exist as a cultural idea within the organisation well, otherwise, what you end up with is just a really great corporate policy around fucking diversity yeah. that someone wheels out every now and then. But for us here at the Bush, yeah. our journey has absolutely been about the lived experience of how do we make um, change uh, inherent within the DNA of this organisation. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So, and I see that you're doing that with like pass the baton to mm. Palinji Sasabandake, mm. Winston Pinnock passing the baton to him as a writer and what is that program because I know that she's the only one passing the baton out of the eight writers isn't it so yeah so we did a th- look so we figured yeah. we're a new writing theatre and first I should just say that I think there are many colleagues peers in our industry who just amazing men and women out there that are doing amazing things so this observation is an observation now I reacted to that, the Bush reacted to, which was 
for men and women, writers of colour, we somehow don't seem to be blessed with our works being revived beyond the original production, right? And not just here in London, but even regionally. So a show that might have absolutely been a banger in its day, people like either don't even know the writer's name, have no reference to that being successful, and it's not done, right? Yeah. So you feel like that within work that is remounted, there's like this privileged group of men and women, like yeah. who kind of are doing super dope, doing really great playwrights. Yeah. But they are predominantly white dudes. Yeah, because there's only a few. Like I think Debbie Tucker Green's one of the few people of colour whose shows get remounted. Remounted. And I know he did win. Winston Pinnock's leave taking was remounted. What that was. Look, the last time Winston Pinnock's leave leave taking was that was twenty five years ago. Gosh, that's the And so what struck me was, why is this happening? Yeah. Why is the work of writers of colour not being taught more actively? Why is it not being produced? Yeah. And so we came up with an idea called Passing the Baton. We invited a number of people within our sector, Samila Hodge-Dalloway, shout out to her, helped um, shape our list, as did... I reached out to everyone, and yeah. like, I reached out to critics, to my peers, to my contemporaries, said who are the playwrights that we should be producing, whose work was successful but hasn't been remounted. We've got this amazing long list together. So this year, under the umbrella of passing the baton, mm-hmm. um, we produced, as I said, after 25 years, Winston Pinnock's amazing play, Leaves Taking, which she wrote in her early 20s. And for those who are listening that were unable to come, that play has now been published as a single text, as a play, so you can yeah. buy this. It, previous to that, didn't exist as a single text, so Seriously? this is also wow. important that we support that play. So if you didn't see it, so be it, read the play. And so remounting that play, the play that looks at that Windrush generation that came to London and their experiences of just trying to settle both between the two worlds of Jamaica and London and what that meant. Again, what Winston Pinnock wrote was just the most amazing female characters you could ever hope to meet uh, on the page or be in the company of on stage. And she she did something so special with that show. For me, it was a real signal of intent as the artistic director for me to direct that show. Yeah. It's also me saying, this is a commitment we're making. This is a signal to my industry yeah. that we can't keep ignoring this work. Passing the Baton was also about us not just um, re- uh, producing a forgotten play, mm. but it was also about commissioning a writer to whom Winston would pass the baton on. So as you say, Kalunji was our writer, and it was really Winston that picked Kalunji. Like we, we, we knew, we know Kalunji. Yeah. Do you know I mean we love Kalunji here? He's been an actor on our stage as Kalunji, but it was Winston. We all saw Asata Taught yeah. Us at the Gate Theatre. Um, yeah. But it was Winston that said, Yeah, I really like him. We said names, and she's like, I really like him. And we was like, Yeah, man, we yeah. really like him. So he's currently in the throes of working on the first draft of this new play, man. That's amazing. I think that's really important. I think it must feel like someone like Winston to go to him, Here you go. Yeah. As a writer, that's like, Whoa, that's amazing. Um, and there was a point I wanted to make actually about Vinay and his writing. He's one of the first few writers where I've been like, I've watched the play and I was like, I want to read it now. 
because he has some like gems which I was like I need to highlight and even as a person he just says like really wise words mm. and I'm always and I don't think when I spoke to him he said something I was like oh that's amazing and he's just like humbly there and I was like it's like no that's, that's a gem he's got he is a super humble um unassuming kind of brother yeah. but his intellectual rigor yeah. his generosity and his absolute kind of commitment to writing the stories he believes are essential that and I believe are essential I mean it's I'm so honored to like to have worked with him because yeah. I think he is the truth I really do and I think time will prove us right that he will continue to do that yeah I think, yeah I'm really excited to see what what comes out of this for him and like his next stage. Um, lastly, I wanted to ask, do you have any advice or any tips that have helped you along the way? Like also advice for writers, people who want to get involved with the building? I often think about what I would have, yeah, I often think to myself, what I always try and think, oh, I should say something clever. <laughs> I haven't got anything really clever to say, but I do something, I say something to myself every day. Yeah. I say this to myself before I go to bed every night. Because um, let's be real, I think being an artist is just hard anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's period. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah. It's fucking hard. And it's exhausting. Exhausting. <laughs> being an artist of colour is harder still. Um, because let's be real, we are, we don't live in a post-racial society. We could easily be, easily be fooled by thinking, ah, oh, we work in a cultural sector that are uh, liberal, left-leaning and bohemian. And actually what you feel is we're actually social, we're actually in a sector that is social conservative, uh, inward looking uh, and resistant to change. The idea of merit in, because I mean, this is a great lie of our, of our country and of society, the idea that somehow merit is what uh, leads to success. If you just do your thing uh, and you, success will come. Yeah. But merit in the cultural sector has become a euphemism for nepotism. And I feel, yeah. so the, the thing, the two things I say to myself are, and I really still, and people sometimes get surprised when I say this, but I still have to say this to myself because being an artistic director can be profoundly lonely, man, because success is something you share. Like, yeah. look, I've had amazing reviews in for an adventure. It's a beautiful thing. So you share success, but I think failure is yours exclusively. So, and actually in a way, that's the bullet you take. Yeah. as an artistic director if something goes wrong in this building we don't deliver on our end yeah. I feel personally profoundly responsible I don't pass that bucket on me yeah. so the thing I say to myself each night is I am the hero of my own story and so when I wake up tomorrow what's the first thing I'm going to do yeah. and secondly that I am surrounded by love because it's sometimes really hard to hold on to the idea yeah. that you are surrounded by men and women who love you for who you are in an industry that often doesn't really 
have the time to stop and ask how you are. Yeah, I can imagine as artist director, people, it, it's not like everyone's asking, how are you? Like, how's it going? Like, it's just, as you, mm. yeah. And the, that's surrounded by love thing. I think that's great because mm. I get that. As an artist, sometimes you feel like if you're being rejected, if things mm. are going wrong, people are not picking up your emails or calls, you just don't feel like things are going right. Mm -hmm. you, can feel, you can feel like no one is there to support you. And especially in London, I think, as a young person, where it's like, I'm like, it's fine, I'm there. You have people who love you and support you. They may mm -hmm. not be here, like they're here physically, they're not here physically, but they are there for you. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important. But that is a surprise, I guess that, yeah. I just think it's a, I'm really inspired right now. It's 2018, yeah. it's September. Sun's still shining. Sun's shining, <laughs> but I'm inspired by this moment we're in. And yeah. I just think there's something about being in this room with you today that really inspires me because I think I'm seeing around us in our sector, and in, particularly, in particular here in London, yeah. men and women of colour, both within the cultural sector and outside the sector, reclaiming both space, reclaiming narratives, empowering themselves by asking profound questions. And I feel this feels like it's a moment. Of course this moment is built on moments that have come before it. And yeah. Jimmy, I salute all those that have come before, but I'm inspired by men and women like yourself who continue to push the envelope, ask a different question, reimagine the possibility of what could be and not what is. Yeah. Um, I'm deeply thankful just to, for our paths to cross, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I think that thank you for that and thank you for spending this time with me and to chat with me. for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please let me know by either subscribing rating my podcast commenting on itunes or soundcloud or just popping me an email or even a tweet if you'd like to hear more on madney or me you can have a look at the description box below where you can find links to websites and um social media and also emails and also you can find the link to an adventure which is currently on at the bush till the 20th of october bye